good to see so many here this morning. And again, like last Sunday, it's still part of the holidays. So we have lots of visitors with us and we want you to know that you are welcome and invite you back anytime that you can to uh, be with us. We have for several weeks been studying the uh, letter to the written to the Hebrews. And it is a letter of encouragement. Although throughout the letter, there are scattered warnings. Warnings were meant to encourage as well. But one of the things that he talks about in this letter over and over again is how that we have a responsibility to one another to encourage each other. And we've used as our theme verse this out of chapter 3 where it says, But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence that we had at first. And so overriding, overarching, our message is to encourage each other. Let us encourage one another. He talked about a little later that we need to encourage each other even more as the day approaches. And that day is approaching. Jesus is coming back. And you can either consider that a a stern warning or a word of encouragement. That kind of all depends on how we're living our lives. But we want to encourage each other. And we began last week looking at Hebrews chapter 11. And that is one of those chapters that for most people who've studied the Bible for any amount of time, just know it by its chapter number and the theme that is incorporated in it. Hebrews chapter 11 is the faith chapter. He ended that stern warning in chapter 10 where he talked about making sure that, you know, we don't fall away. He says, but we're not going to do that because we are people who believe and are saved. And then he goes on and he says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Go ahead, Jamie. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And so we talked a little bit last week and we looked at kind of the definition of of faith. And then a little later down in verse 6, he says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and now I'm quoting King James, so that may not match what's behind me. Must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And we boiled that down several times for many years. We boiled that down to the foundation of our faith that when all else fails, we need to remember and believe that God is and that God loves me. That's the foundation of our faith. If we can hold on to that, when all other things are going crazy around us, we're going to be all right. We may not understand everything. We may even be kind of confused. We may even be a little little angry at God, frustrated at God. That's all right. As long as we hold on to the fact that God is and God loves me. And so then we get into the meat, I guess, really of chapter 11, which he calls our great cloud of witnesses in chapter 12 and verse 1. He lists all those people. Or not all those people, because he said I could go on and on and on. But he lists many of those folks that we would put in the Hall of Fame of Faith. Now, I remember doing this before. I want you to think about your own personal Hall of Fame of Faith. I want you to think about those who have made an impact in your lives. If you were to list, these people would be in my Hall of Fame of Faith. 
I'm not talking about Abraham and Moses and Enoch and David. The people that our writer is going to talk about. I'm not talking about those folks. He's already listed them. You have your own personal hall of fame. You have people who in your life have been there to to mold you, to help strengthen your faith, to be an example to you. I talk about this some, you know, when when our kids get older, they're not going to remember, I don't think, I don't think when kids are 15, 16 years old, I don't think they're going to remember their time in credit roll class. I don't remember my earliest memory that I have that I can remember was about three and a half, four years old. That's the earliest real memory that I think I have in, in my brain. So these kids may not remember credit roll class. But if you were in credit roll class, you need to have in your hall of fame those credit roll teachers. And we may think to ourselves, and I've heard people talk about, well, they really don't do anything in credit roll, but play and sing songs. Really? My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his and the valleys are his and the trees are his handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Remember, God is and God loves me. They sing, Jesus loves me. They sing these songs about the wise man building his house upon the rock. They may not remember the teacher. But they'll remember those songs. And hopefully they'll remember what those songs say. And so we have a foundation of faith. I remember a lady by the name of Mrs. Hardiman. None of you know her. Well, I don't know. There may be some in here that know her. But most of you will not know her. But she did a deal when I was in kindergarten. And she brought all the children in together before Bible class time. And we sang songs. And we went over little flashcards of Bible trivia kind of things. I remember Mrs. Hardiman. She began to help lay that foundation of faith. She is in my hall of fame of faith. If I was writing Hebrews 11, I would say by faith. Mrs. Hardiman taught me those songs. By faith, Mrs. Hardiman used those flashcards to help remember people in the Bible. And on and on. Many of my members of my Hall of Fame of Faith have passed on. Many of them sat right here in this building. Norman would be like at the top of the list. I don't know if you can if you can put stars beside the people in the if you can rank them in the Hall of Fame. But I learned so much from Norman, and so did so many of you. We need to appreciate those people, 
And our writer here is telling us about those people who are examples of faith. But there's an important lesson as we go through here. And the important lesson is that faith, biblical faith, is always, always expressed how God has ordained it. I remember those verses in Hebrew, excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. But you have been saved by grace through faith and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And I remember that verse so well. That, that verse makes such an impression on me. Because it goes against sort of what I was taught as a child. Maybe not what I was taught, but the way I understood what I was taught. Because I was taught that we are not saved by faith alone. We're not saved by grace alone. And then I read Ephesians chapter 8, but you are saved by grace through faith and this, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. And I go, what? Wait a minute. This is what I was taught, or at least what I understood I was taught. This is what the Bible says. What's up with that? It's an easy remedy. It all has to do with a correct definition of faith. Biblical faith is always expressed how God has ordained it. And he goes on through here and we can see beginning in in verse 4 of chapter 11. He says, by faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though from the dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this line so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him by faith. Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and because of, and because, and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And we're going to go through, we're not going to read, we're not going to go through all of these people of faith. We're going to concentrate on one this morning. But you can go through there through chapter 11. And it always says, by faith, so-and-so did something. By faith, so-and-so did something. What did they do? They did what God told them to do. They did what God ordained for them to do. How was Noah saved? Noah was saved by grace through faith. Faith alone? What do you mean by faith alone? He was saved by grace through faith that built an ark. Because God told him to build an ark. God doesn't tell you to build an ark. Building an ark is not a part of your, your response to God. God is not, building an ark is not a part of your ordained faith response. God doesn't want you to build an ark. But there are other things that God wants you to do. Other things that God has ordained for you to do. And those are a part of our faith. Because biblical faith is always expressed as God has ordained it. So now we are going to come to Abraham. It's the longest section in here. Our writer talks longer about Abraham than he does anybody else. 
Remember, remember Mrs. Hardiman? Remember Mrs. Hardiman? You should. It wasn't that long ago. But in those little cards that we would do, it would say, one of them said, Father of the faithful. It was Abraham. So I remember we flipped to the card. Father of the faithful, Abraham. And Abraham is commended throughout the Bible because of his faith. And so look at what our writer says about Abraham beginning in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man and as good as dead came descendants as numerous as the skies and the stars in the sky and as countless as the sands on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things that they promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been looking of a country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He received the promises, was about to sacrifice his only, his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead and figuratively speaking, and he did receive Isaac back from death. You see, the thing about faith is, Faith is going to be tested. Our faith is going to be tested. James chapter 1, the writer says, don't be concerned when you fall into all kinds of different trials and temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith leads to perseverance. You see, if our faith is never tested, then it's never really faith. I'm going to give you an example from last night. Some of you will notice I'm wearing a special tie this morning. Some of you will know why. Others of you won't. But you know what? This season, I'm only going to go with this season right now. This season, it doesn't take a lot of faith to be a fan of Alabama. I just admit it. It doesn't take a lot of faith. Why? Ain't been tested. (laughs) Ain't been tested. Won all their games by 30 points or whatever, you know. They took a nap last week during the first half against Citadel, but, you know, then they woke up. And it doesn't take any faith this year. Now, to be a fan of the Texas Aggies, it takes a lot of faith. Because it's going to get tested. It's going to get tested. 
And you know what? Sometimes you give up. Those of you that watched the Aggie game last night, you'll understand. Those of you that didn't, I'm sorry. But we were behind and we threw an interception with a minute and 22 seconds left to go in the game. And we had no timeouts. My faith, my faith was beyond the point of testing. I gave up. I switched the channel. I'm going to watch something else. A little while later, I get a text. It's from Brittany. And she says, can you believe this is happening? <laughs> so I switch back to the channel. Just in time to see A&M score the tying touchdown so that it would go into overtime. I'm like, how did, how did that happen? How did we get the ball back? Oh, we didn't have any timeouts. It was only, did, 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 did LSU fumble the, fumble the snap or something? What so I called Brittany. So what's going on? She said, well, they determined when the quarterback threw that interception that his knee had actually touched the ground first. So they called him down. We got another play. And we scored with one second left. Seven overtimes later. Four hours and I don't know how many minutes. A&M wins 74 to 72. They went back and checked. The last time A&M and LSU played basketball, they didn't score that many points. (laughs) But you see, my faith has been tested over 56 years of watching the Aggies. And I got to tell you, there have been times when I've given up. But that's what makes our faith stronger. If our faith is never tested, is it really faith? Abraham's faith was tested. And his faith was tested in similar ways to the way that our faith is going to be tested as well. The first thing we see is the test of the unknown. Verses 8 through 10, you remember it said, And Abraham left his land And went to a place and he didn't even know where he was going. Wow, that is scary. How many of you have up and moved your family? But you knew where you were going. Probably because there was another job or another situation or whatever. You knew where you were going. You know that I moved a bazillion times as a kid. But we never got in the car. And I said, Dad, where are we going? He said, I don't know. We're just going to drive around. Uncle Sam says, stop. Well, that never happened. We always knew we were, where we were going. God calls Abraham in the earth of the Chaldeans. He says, get up and leave your family and head off. And when you get there, I'll tell you, you're there. Wow, that's scary. The unknown. But you know, we, we, we face the unknown all the time. We like to think we have it all together. We like to think that we're in control of everything. But it doesn't take as long to figure out we're not. But there's a lot of unknowns out there. I think maybe the scariest moment, singular moment in my life, 
was after Brittany was born and Kenya's mother left. And all of a sudden, we both realized, ah! We're in charge of this thing. We're, we're like responsible. They get ear infections and they, they poopy diapers and, you know, all kinds of stuff. What, what, what? And you think, well, what's out there for them? In the next 18, 20, 30 years. The unknown. And we have unknown. The unknown of the the report back from the doctor. What's it going to be? The unknown of what's happening to our family and our friends. There's a lot of unknown out there. But God says we have faith through it all. Abraham had faith. He didn't know where he was going. But he had faith in God. Second is the test of delay. Abraham was 75 years old. When God first said to him, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Now, even if you prorate the age thing, even for them, 75 was old. And then he turned 76. Nothing. 77. Nothing. 78. Nothing. And we go on and on and on. And finally, it gets to a point that Abraham and Sarah, their faith began to wane a little bit. And they said, God needs a little help. We believe God, but we're going to help God out. And so we have the whole thing with Hagar, Sarah's handmaid, and Ishmael is born, and all of that. And God says, when I promised you a son, I promised you a son the normal way. And Abraham and Sarah are like, you've lost your mind. Abraham is 99 years old. Sarah is 89 years old. And the three visitors come and they tell Abraham, by this time next year, your wife Sarah is going to have a child. And Sarah just starts cackling. She starts laughing. And the, and the, remember, the, uh, the, the, the visitors say, why is Sarah laughing? And everyone's like, oh, she's not laughing. No. And inside he was laughing too. But wait and wait and wait. Beyond that, when Abraham was 75 years old, God said, this land that I'm going to take you to, when I finally tell you to stop, That's going to be your land. But not for you. And not for your immediate descendants. It's going to be for your descendants down the road. I don't know about you, but I don't like delay. 
I don't like postponement. We are a, a people of immediate gratification. I know some of you are like me. If I have to wait in the drive-thru at McDonald's for more than five minutes, what is wrong? What? Uh, it's supposed to be drive-thru, not park-through. I want it now. And God kept saying to Abraham, wait. 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 And we may be looking around and we're saying, but God, you've promised me this. You've promised me this. Why isn't it happening? God's saying, wait, wait. And God's ultimate promise. We're not going to see here. We're not going to see here. His ultimate promise. We have to. But he's going to make good on his promise because we know that he is faithful. God often makes people wait. He's on his own timetable. We look at that story in the New Testament and we think about it. Jesus gets word that his really good friend Lazarus is sick. And his disciples hear that. And you know what his disciples were doing. When they heard, when the news came that Lazarus was sick, they were gathering their stuff up. They were packing their suitcases. They were getting ready to head to Bethany. And Jesus hangs around for a couple days. Wait. Well, that doesn't make any sense. To us, it might not. But it makes sense to God. And there's a reason for it. And our faith has to be strong enough that when we don't understand why it isn't happening now, we have to remember God is and God loves me. I don't understand why he's making me wait, but I know that he loves me. The third test is the test of the impossible. We kind of got into that a second ago. I got ahead of myself a little bit. But the whole 99 and 89 thing. There was a point in which, you know, I'm sure Abraham and Sarah were literally like, it's just not going to happen. God, God, it it just cannot. It is absolutely, biologically, physically impossible. And God says, exactly. That's when I'm going to do it. I wasn't going to do it back when you were 75, Abraham, and Sarah was 65. And there might have been some remote chance that it could have happened. I'm waiting till you're 99 and she's 89 so that everybody, there ain't a chance in the world. There's only one way this happened. It's by God. Joshua gets with the children of Israel. They cross over the Jordan River. They're camped against Jericho. And we already know that the, you know, the spies from 40 years before said, these walls are big. The people are big. They know how to fight. We don't know how to fight. We're never going to be able to, you know, take this place. And nothing's really changed in 40 years, except that now the people are going to trust God. And God says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to march the people around Jericho. Once a day. Just, just march around 
and go back to camp. What do you think the people in Jericho thought? Well, look at that. They're giving us a parade. (laughs) They just marched around. They went back home. Day two, do it again. Three, four, five, six. God says, but on the seventh day, I want you to march around seven times. And so what do you think the people of Jericho were thinking when the people of Israel came out to march around on the seventh day? I imagine when the last few people, you know, when they were getting or when the first people were getting all the way around. I imagine the people of Jericho were getting off the wall and saying, "Okay, well, we'll see you tomorrow. But they kept on marching. Twice, three, four, five, six, seven. And the walls came tumbling down. Wow. God could have figured out another way for Israel to defeat the people of Jericho. Don't you think that if God had wanted to, he could have had them create this huge frontal attack and just en masse attack Jericho and they could have won because God would have been on their side, right? But he didn't do it that way. Why? He wanted to make sure they understood it was not them. It was God, and it was impossible. Gideon, God said, too many men, too many men, too many men. Why? Because he wanted to make sure they knew that it was God. God has called us to do some impossible things. Think to yourself, well, he really hadn't called me to do anything impossible. You know, he hadn't called me to walk on water like Peter. He hadn't called me build an ark or whatever. He hadn't called me to to have a child when I'm 99 years old. He hadn't called me to... How about be holy as I am holy, God says. How about as your heavenly father is perfect. How about keeping yourself unspotted from the world around you? Oh, that seems impossible, doesn't it? It seems impossible. But God says, you can do it. God is always doing the impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. And then we have the test of contradiction. I think that's the one that gets us the most. In verses 17 through 19, we had that story. They'd waited and waited 25 years. And finally, Isaac is born. And they raise Isaac. I don't know how old Isaac was. I think he's older than we think he is normally in our thinking. I'm guessing he's somewhere around 10 to 12, maybe even older than that. Big enough to carry the wood. Big enough to understand what was going on with the sacrifice. And God says, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to sacrifice him. And Abraham, in his mind, says, that that ain't right. That, That can't be right. Because you see, God, you promised me that all the people of the world were going to be blessed through Isaac. That I was going to have countless descendants through Isaac. You can't mean for me to sacrifice him. 
That doesn't make any sense. God says, do it. And this is where Abraham's faith has grown. From the time of Hagar and Ishmael. Abraham says, you know what? I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. I don't see how even God's own plan can go forward by doing this. But I know this. God is. And God loves me. And so he goes up on that mountain. And I like the way it says here in Hebrews. It says, and he sacrificed Isaac. He did it. Maybe physically God stopped him just in time. But in Abraham's mind, it was a done deal. We've talked about this in the Psalms. How many times does David basically say, I don't get it, God. I don't understand. You promised me this, but this is what is happening. There's a contradiction here. And God says, yeah, it's because you're not understanding right. So just believe that I am and that I love you. And that'll be enough. So Abraham's faith was tested. Tested beyond belief. And yet he came out stronger on the other side. We can go through here and all these people in this hall of fame, these great cloud of witnesses, that all their faith was tested. All of them. One way or another. Our faith is going to be tested. And what determines whether or not we have real faith is whether or not we will allow that testing to make our faith stronger. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because he who comes to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently. If you're struggling with your faith this morning, our writer would say, don't give up. Are you confused? Our writer would say, don't give up. Are you frustrated? Our writer would say, don't give up. God is and God loves you. Hang on to that. Hang on to that. Allow your faith to be tested and rewarded. If you're here this morning in some way, we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D. C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol dot com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 818- West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638.
Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.